This week on Developer Weekly. And by default, you shouldn't pick microservices, right? By default, it is you only should pick microservices as an architecture if you really need it. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com slash about. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week I'm talking with Roland Guit. Roland is a Microsoft MVP enjoying a constant curiosity around new techniques in software development. And he's also a Microsoft certified trainer, international speaker, Pluralsight author, and overall community champion. <laughs> Welcome, Roland. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. How are you uh, holding up these days? I'm uh, I'm very good, and I'm I'm glad that we are not in a complete lockdown yeah. with Corona, like many other countries are. Mm-hmm. You know, you are also in the Netherlands, so you know this. Yep. They, they are they are uh, restricting us a little bit more, but still, you know, I think in the history of pandemics, I was saying this to a friend. The other day, in the history of all pandemics in the world, this is probably the easiest one. You yeah, know, we can we can still go to the shops in the middle of a pandemic. Isn't that insane? Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit restrictive, but um, I think we're still in a in a luxury position if we compare it to the rest of the world, right? Basically, in the people in Africa or the poor countries, they are worse off, way worse off than we are. Absolutely, yeah. We're very privileged that we uh, live in this country and that things are going relatively well. Yeah, exactly. But let's see what happens, you know. It's uh, it's getting uh, to be winter time and um, flu season is uh, upon us, so things might change. Yeah, we'll see. Let's see. Well, we can't do anything about it, so no. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, yeah, so it's, uh, it's good that we are uh, h- high and dry, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for non-Dutch uh, audience, that's a Dutch expression: high and dry, <laughs> hoog and hoog. <laughs> it's okay if you don't don't get that. So let's talk about uh, microservices. It's kind of a buzzword nowadays, isn't it? Microservices. But maybe you can explain to me what microservices are and why we should care. Yeah. So so microservices is a is an architectural style. It's a way you you compose your application and in the past we um, when we when we would think of an application before development we would think of an application consisting of components right so mm-hmm. every application consists of components you, you try to modular modularize your, your application so for example when you have an um, an, uh, an, an application that processes orders you maybe have some part in your application that takes user input and some some part of your application processes the user input then we get the order handling the order packaging order sending etc cetera, etc cetera. these are all components 
So yeah. for for us developers, it's like um, uh, using classes. There is there's you have a namespace. There are a couple of classes inside inside there. There's a, maybe a data layer, and that's that's one component of your application. But all these components are uh, are within one application, right? So if the application becomes bigger and more um, more complex and more features are are are, are being added, uh, then it's is it is kind of hard to keep these components really um uh autonomous right like separated from each other right mm -hmm. so yeah. we we tend to uh do th uh, cross calls to these components in various weird ways and it's just the way we work right uh, we 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 quickly have to do something uh, solve a bug or add a feature and we just do it quickly because there's no time and eventually we we end up with an application that is unmaintainable and we have to do a rewrite. So, so that's, that's how we did it. We actually how we do it with a traditional approach. The right. traditional it, it, approach is still valid. So we can talk about why that is later, but if, if you're going to microservices, then each component I was talking about is now in a separate application. So, mm -hmm. How what does that look like? Well, um, all these components. Let, let's go back to the order application. Uh, the order handling has its, has its own application. The order processing has its own application, and all these applications are doing one thing. And it's it's basically a it's most of the time it's a it's a fairly small thing, right? Hence, yeah. the term microservices. The, the advantage of that is that you get an, uh, an application that, is, uh, that has some advantages when we look at the, um, at the at development time. So when, you, when the application is developed, and we assume that an application is developed continuously, right? It's not uh, we do it one year and then it's done. Uh, it, hmm. An application typically... Nowadays is something that is being worked on continuously. Yeah, and microservices are very suitable for that. So, when you want another feature, you can just add another microservice. And because the microservices are autonomous, it's also easy to work in teams on a, on a microservices application. So, for example, um, because each each service is separated. Uh, you can say, oh, there's a team in in Holland that that does the this service, and there's another team in Malaysia that does this service, and a team in Germany that does another service, and because these microservices are totally separated from each other, that works, and that's hard mm -hmm. to do with with a traditional application. Right. Uh huh. So, the traditional application is that what we call an entire application. Um, yes, it, um, so an entire application uh, consists of layers, basically. Traditionally, we have this, this distributed application, and a distributed application could be just a, a front-end, some kind of front-end with a database as a second layer. That's, that's a possibility. Yeah. And, if, and eventually, we, we thought, well, maybe it's not a good idea to put uh, all business logic in, in a, in a front-end-ish application. So maybe it's a good idea to create an API 
like a REST API to put between the, the actual front-end application and the database, for example. And uh -huh. we, can, we, we can handle some business logic there. And then we have a distributed application, right? So, but it's n so, so that, that separates kind of the business logic from the front-end logic. And that's, that's a good thing. But it's still not a microservices application because we just have two components, basically. We have a, a big application uh, that does the front-end and we have a big application that does the back-end. That's okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's called a distributed monolith. Monolith means uh, monolith is an application that contains all the logic inside one application. And since we have now two, we have kind of a distributed monolith. We have two monoliths, one with the back-end and one with the front-end. So th that was kind of the first step in, in the distributed applications we, we, we implement now, right? And then yeah. we got to, to other techniques like gRPC to optimize this communication between these services, et cetera, et cetera. But it was still a, a distributed application. You can also create two APIs or whatever. It's still not, still not a microservices application. So one microservice is concerned about one thing, one particular thing. It's, it's self-sufficient. So for example, uh, the database, there's not one database for the entire application. Each microservice has its own data store. It could be a database, could be something else, could be a cloud-based system or an on-premise system, doesn't matter, but each has its own. And that makes them so, separated from each other. Uh, so each microservice is a functional thing. So for instance, a microservice would be uh, something that puts in an order. That would be one microservice. Yes, that exactly. That would only be responsible for putting in the order. That's all it does. Yes, exactly. Ah. And because of uh, of that, um, so it, that that autonomy has uh, advantages and disadvantages. Hmm. The big advantage is that when you work with many people together, you can easily separate the work. Right. And they can each each team can kind of pick their own technology. So one team uses ASP.NET maybe. Another team uses uh, uh, Ruby on Rails. Uh, so they can use whatever language, whatever data store they want. So that's, mm -hmm. that, that's great about microservices. It's a, a, one big advantage. There are other advantages, but th this is one of the biggest. And do microservices sometimes also then share a data store? For instance, if you're talking about uh, an order system and you have a microservice that is responsible for putting in an order, then you might have another microservice that's responsible for getting a list of all the orders. Wouldn't it get that from the same data store? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's because, so no matter, no matter what, you have to maintain this autonomy of each microservice. That's mm. a very important concept. That sounds like complexity. How would you then yeah. uh, sync those data sources up? Yeah, so, so that, that depends on, on uh, there are several ways to do that. But we, we get into the realm of the of DDD now, domain-driven development, because mm. when you think about an application, you have a, a kind of a domain, right? So, yeah. le so let's say we have this this order uh, application, this or uh, yes, this order order processing application. Then we maybe have a customer entity, and we have a order entity and an order line entity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
So this is kind of the domain of the application. Some of these entities are shared across micro across microservices. So for example, in your uh, the, in the example you you just gave, you have um, an, a, a microservices that has uh, that, that, that that produces the, the list, and we have a microservice that that takes the order, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, they each have their own data store, and this event entity is shared between the two. So it's the same event entity, but the the microservice that displays the list uh, uses other information maybe than the microservice that um, that takes in the order. So mm -hmm. that def definition may may vary. One, one could have uh, thirty properties and one could have ten, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you're right; uh, these have to be synchronized. So, yeah. so I so I recently did a Pluralsight course explaining how to do microservices in ASP.NET Core. And there I start out with uh, the most basic example of, of, my, of a microservice. And that's an ASP.NET Core uh, REST API, basically. Uh, and one, so it's, it's about um, a, a ticket company, a, vir a virtual ticket company. And uh, you, you get a list of events and you can order, order an a concert ticket or whatever. So we have this event catalog microservice and yeah. the event catalog microservice can display a list of events, but it cannot put an item in the shopping cart because that's the job of the shopping cart microservice. Now, what I did mm -hmm. is when you press the button on the, um, in the, on the screen to add an order, uh, the, the event catalog service produces th that list of events with the buttons. And when you press the button to order it, then a separate call goes to event, uh, sorry, in the, uh, to the shopping cart microservice, which, uh, which enters, which, which puts the, the event in the shopping basket. Well, right. And, but, but eventually, uh, the user wants to see a list of events he or she ordered uh, to and, and pay, et cetera, et cetera. So that's also the job to, to produce the list of these events that are in the shopping basket is also the, the job of the shopping cart microservice. But mm -hmm. so the shopping cart microservice must have some notion of what an event is. It doesn't need to know everything. It, it just needs to know maybe the title of the, of the concert, maybe the artist and the date, and that's it. But it needs that entity too in its own data store to produce the list. So yeah. how I solve it initially is to uh, when when a new order is uh, when a new order line is placed in the shopping basket, then um, the shopping basket microservice gets an event ID and it looks that event event ID up in its store. And if it's not there, it does a request to the event catalog microservice to fetch the information for that event. And the next time the event comes in, it knows about it. Ah. So that's 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 a simple way to do synchronization. There are there are many other ways to do it, but it's this is the most simple one. Right. And then uh, well, you're talking now about uh, functional events, um, but an event store 
is also a type of database, a type of data store that you can use to store data about things that happened instead of uh, records of uh, of just data. Yep. Uh, would that be something that's always used with microservices or can you also use, let's say, a relational database for microservices? Yes, so event store is, is great for microservices, but you're not tied to that at all. You can just use a, a, a SQL database or, or some kind of NoSQL database mm. if you want. It just depends on... So, so just with a normal application, you should think about the needs of the microservice. And the cool thing about microservices is because every microservice is separated from each other, you can just use a store that is appropriate. So if you want, uh, uh, want to play back events and look into the, uh, uh, to the, um, to the history of, of events, then an event store is, is great. Yeah. Uh, but if you just want to produce a list of current events, then a SQL database is, uh, is, 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 is is fine too. Right. Ah, yeah. So it depends really on uh, what your team is comfortable with and what fits best for that uh, type of microservice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I can imagine if you have a large system, then you might have uh, lots of these microservices, which is kind of the point, right? Yes. And uh, that involves lots of complexity, I imagine, because the example that you just gave you have a microservice that is actually calling into another microservice. So you have dependencies on other microservices as well, yes, yes. which means that these microservices also have to be able to find each other, as in microservice A needs to find the address of microservice B, whatever that is in, uh, in their local context. How yes. does all that work? As in, how do you make sure that these microservices stay available, maybe by running multiple instances of them or something, and how can microservices find each other? Yeah, so um, I talked about advantages and disadvantages when I started uh, talking about microservices. And uh, thus far, we just talked about uh, advantages. But this is the big disadvantage of using microservices is exactly this complexity you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so it's great uh, while you are developing in the microservice, but what if uh, it has to run in production? Yeah, and that's 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 really uh, that that is not to be underestimated. So, so micro. So in in the course, I'm also saying, well, by default, you shouldn't pick microservices, right? By default, it is you only should pick microservices as an architecture if you really need it. Right, and yes. there are sp some specific reasons why you should use microservices, like uh, you want to scale in a flexible way, right? Because with microservices, you can scale each component of the application individually. Ah, yeah. And we talked about teams, right? Uh, each team, uh, you can have separate teams. And um, so. To answer your question, how do you keep track of that? Well, you need additional technology to do that. And not yeah. only to, um, um, to, to keep track of how microservices communicate with each other, because when you have a bigger application with microservices, it's, it's hard to get uh, to keep the, uh, the total picture, right? To see... Yeah. To, because microservices uh, service A talks to B and B talk to uh, talk to D and uh, and you get this 
the spaghetti of calls and it's hard to keep track of all these things. Um, so you need additional you need additional configuration of your infrastructure for that. And one one component of that is uh, is using, um, uh, for example, continuous deployment. That's that's ideal for for microservices. Um, but when you do continuous deployment, you're kind of tied to DevOps, right? And and that kind of means that. If you write the application, you all, you're also responsible for running it. Yeah. Uh, so as a developer, you 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 don't you don't have the just have the task to create the application and to maintain it, but also you have to have this knowledge about this infrastructure and all this this software uh, that that is needed to uh, to run these microservices. So, for example, the discoverability you talked about. You have to have some kind of DNS-like system with uh, with, uh, with which the microservice can communicate and and look up uh, at an address for the, for another microservice. Yep, that's that's one aspect. Uh, in the course, I'm also talking about. So uh, thus far, we talked about uh, synchronous communication between microservices, just with a, a REST uh, interface or. Um, uh, so when you have a microservice with a REST interface, it's it's, it's a synchronous communication, right? You do a request, and you await a response, and that's great. Uh, for example, for the event catalog, that's a great system because we we want to display that list, so we wait we wait for it. It's it's a logical thing to do, but it's also uh, a very um, well maybe problematic way to do it because. Uh, in order for the application as a whole to work, this microservice that displays events must be up and running, right? So we have this yeah. we have this temporal coupling between this uh, between the front end and this, that microservice. And you you want to so you need that you, you need a service to be up, but sometimes services uh, you uh, use asynchronous communication. So for example, when you place the order. The order uh, has to be processed by a certain microservice. That processing of that order, the, the user doesn't have to wait for that. It can it can be done offline, so to say. Um, so wh mm. what we do then is we use asynchronous communication that is based on messaging, and 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 most of the time it's it's it concerns some kind of queue. So for example. An order has to be processed. Then, the front end or another microservice can place uh, a message in the queue with the, with the new order information, and then, and then another microservice can take that out of the queue. So this queue is an intermittent between two services. Now we have mitigated this temporal coupling, so the service doesn't have to be up to to uh, to make the application as a whole work. And when the, when, the, when the microservice comes back up to process the messages, it can just do it in its own pace, picking the orders from the queue one by one. So that's that's a, a scenario that is uh, that is used very often with microservices, but it also makes it more complex again, right? So we now have yeah. we now have to keep track of messages. What happens if if something goes wrong when an exception occurs in a microservice? What what happens with 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 the message? How do we monitor that? 
So we have to monitor a lot of things, not only the uptime of the microservice, but also how is the communication going and uh, how does it stick together and how can we trace a, a message or, or a request within this whole microservices architecture. These are the really hard things of microservices architecture. Yeah, that's a lot of complexity. Yeah. So that kind of sounds like you have uh, basically a cloud of services like you would have when you would work in the cloud. And then you would also need to use the paradigms of the cloud as in retry when things fail, uh, maybe work disconnected by using a queue, for instance, so that things can process on their own pace when they might be busy or might be down for a while. And also discoverability with things like DNS, monitoring of all these different systems and keeping them also available because each and every one of these microservices is a production application, which means that it has to be available, secure and performant, which makes all of this extremely complicated, right? Yeah, exactly. Is there, is there a system or a technology that can help with this where you can just say, well, I have these uh, 20 microservices. I'm just going to deploy this to you and you figure it out and give me all of these features like monitoring security and performance. Yeah, so um, uh, a great way to, um, to deploy microservices is to use containers. So when you have a container, you can just put the microservice inside there and you can develop uh, the microservice inside the container. And when you're done, you just say, okay, here's the container and just run it. So th that makes the whole microservice more portable. You can just use uh, the container paradigm instead of the individual, all the individual files that your application consists of. It just packages mm -hmm. your application with the runtime and the application itself. So that's a great way to, to, uh, to make it portable. And the next step is to take these containers, the, uh, which, the containers which contain the microservice, and to put them somewhere, to run them somewhere. Now, uh, one great way to do that is in the cloud, right? So when you use Azure, for example, um, there are services there that can help you with that. Uh, for example, there's a service in Azure that uh, is called Kubernetes. There are more of these services, but Kubernetes is the most used at the, at the moment, and that's a container orchestrator. So this container orchestrator takes these, uh, th these containers that you uh, give it. So when you have an update for, or a new microservice, you just say, here's, the, here's the, the new microservice, and it will take care of deploying that in a safe way. Well, that, that still is not a walk in the park, by the way. It's not an easy thing. It's still hmm. hard to do because you have to do a lot of configuration of this, uh, of, of this orchestrator. Uh, you have to have the knowledge. So, like I said, the team has to have the knowledge of devel for developing the app, but also uh, about these container services. Uh, monitoring is not automatic. You have to configure that as well. Uh, but but in general, the cloud is a great way to help you with uh, a deployed microservices app because you can use all these services inside the cloud um, to that con that have already have the functionality you need. There is already a monitoring system. There is already a system that deploys your containers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So 
it's good to use that and not invent the wheel yourself. Right. Yeah. And then Kubernetes also takes care of uh, making sure that the containers are available. And if one goes down, it just spins up another instance of it and make sure that they can find each other as well with the discoverability protocol. And there's yeah. also other uh, services in Azure, like for instance, Azure Service Fabric, which you also can use to run containers as a container orchestrator, but that also uses uh, a native model to run microservices, as in you can go to Visual Studio, there's a template for Service Fabric microservices, and there you can create stateless or stateful microservices, then deploy that to Service Fabric, and that then creates multiple instances of your services and does the whole availability, performance, and security thing for you. So there's yeah. lots of options. Yeah, and it's also an important point, the, the, the scaling, right? It's also important with microservice, with mm -hmm. microservices. You can configure Service Fabric or another orchestrator to uh, to auto-scale if you want. Uh, so, uh, but um, for example, uh, depending on the load of the server or on the number of requests that are coming in, it can auto-scale the, uh, the microservice. And that's one of the advantages of using microservice architecture. You just scale the parts that are used the most and the others can, well, can just uh, keep a low, um, a low amount of instances. Right. Okay, so we're coming up to the uh, end of this episode. So let's just uh, be clear about this. Microservices are great. They have advantages. When shouldn't you use them? So, uh, I, so I say um, by default, don't use them because, because <laughs> um, the, um, the advantage, so they are really hard. So, at the, uh, like I said, while developing them, it's great. But once they are deployed, it's it's complex. It, it takes a lot of knowledge. It takes a lot of a lot of time to uh, to monitor everything. It's just hard to do that. Uh, so basically, what I do is I start out uh, thinking about just a, a monolith, right? Maybe yeah. a distributed uh, application, a distributed monolith. So the, the word monolith has a, has a kind of a negative tone to it, but it's still a really valid way to, to create your application. There's nothing wrong with it because it is easy. It's, it's just one application. It's easy to deploy, easy to scale, easy to comprehend. There's no difficult messaging or communication going on. So it's totally fine to use that. Microservices are just for organizations that that need uh, that need an application that needs uh, that really needs uh, flexible scaling for example uh, that really needs this uh, uh, this uh, organization that really that, that has this organization that is scattered uh, uh, throughout the globe for example that they all have to to work on a separate component separate microservice um, um, when you really need fault isolation, for example, so when one application goes wrong, when, when one microservice goes down, then the rest ha has to has to be uh, still uh, still running, right? So so you don't want 
so with a, with a monolith, when one component crashes, the whole application crashes, and that's not the case for, uh, for microservices. So when you need these specific things, uh, and you really should think about that, uh, if you really need that, but if you really need that, you can pick microservices, um, but you have to keep in mind that your team has to be ready for it. So it's not just a, a matter of deploy, uh, creating an, an API and, and you're done. No, you get, get this whole charade of things you should know and do once it is deployed. So it's a, it's a careful consideration. And uh, by default, I wouldn't recommend it, to be honest. <laughs> okay, that's a very good and, uh, and honest advice. So where can people find out more and find more about you? So um, I've done a couple of, uh, of Pluralsight courses, I think already 25 now or something, I lost hmm. count. Um, um, my latest one is about um, getting started with microservices in ASP.NET Core. If you, uh, so I'm also explaining the basics of microservices, whether you use ASP.NET Core or not. So you can look up this story we uh, we kind of touched here in this pod podcast in my course um, and you can also find my author page there and my contact information uh, it's also on, on plural site okay excellent i'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes as well and thank you very much for teaching me about microservices you're welcome thank you for having me barry all right, this was another episode of Developer Weekly, and we'll see you next week. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much.